Good morning. How y'all doing? Fantastic, man. And thank y'all so much for hanging out with us here at One Church. Uh, if you're here in the room, it's really good to hang out with you guys. If you're watching us online uh, via Ustream.tv, we're awesome, awesome, really cool that you're hanging out with us as well. So um, it's really neat. I had a, a lady, a grandmother, a couple weeks ago uh, actually text in and Facebooked us in and said that they were able to watch their children get dedicated, and she lives states away. So really, really cool. That's the reason why we do what we do with all this technology. Uh, we're starting a new series today entitled Icebreakers. It's really fun. and uh, I'm actually going to be co-teaching this with my partner in crime, Dave Thompson. Can y'all say hello to Dave? Hi, guys. Awesome. Well, they really like you. They do. So anyway, so um, all right, we're going to uh, let's just talk about what an icebreaker is. Um, what an icebreaker is is a question you ask around people you don't know so that when you answer, you can actually get to know them, all right? Uh, there are some really good questions that you can ask to start a conversation. And that's what this entire series is about. It's, we're talking about how to start conversations and talk about Jesus. I'm so glad you're here. If you've never been to church before, maybe this is your first time here at One Church because what's, you're kind of off the hook on this series because you can be able to sit back and you can kind of evaluate how Christians or how believers or people in church, how we do with this. And, um, and sometimes I got to be honest, we just really stink at it. All right. We really, really do. So we're going to be talking about how to create those conversations. Let me tell you some good icebreaker questions. Okay. A good icebreaker. Well, here's one. What is your favorite hobby? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the next per person next to you and answer, what's your favorite hobby? All right. So for those of you, maybe you've not, you're not sitting around somebody you don't know, you actually got to know them well, didn't you? All right. Here's what's so cool about that. If you're uh, actually sitting next to somebody you're married and you're not talking because you're fighting... That helped you talk. I mean, that's really cool. So uh, here's another one. Um, uh, what about this one? What do you do for a living? That's a great icebreaker question, unless you're a pastor. Because I'm telling you, when I hang out with people and they say, you know, okay, what do you do for a living? And I, you know, I'm like, I'm a teacher. Oh, really? Do you teach at school? No. Um, I'm a preacher. And then that's when they usually go, oh, and they usually think back, okay, did I just cuss or did I, you know, and, 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 and it kills the conversation. It really, really does. All right. That, that could be a bad icebreaker question. If you're a pastor, let me give you some really bad icebreaker questions. How much do you weigh? That's a, that's not a good one. All right. Here's another bad icebreaker question. How old are you? Well, really, you look a lot older. That's never, ever good, right? And the whole reason we try to break the ice with people and ask icebreakers is because the whole idea of the principle of connection, that we, all of us long to be connected with other people, and how that happens is through conversation. So today, my friend Dave is going to start with a really good icebreaker. All right, so we're going to put some pictures up on the screen, and uh, it's just going to be some people. Now, while we're looking at these guys, I want you to ask yourself the question, who would I rather invest in? Um, or, you know, what is the ideal person for me to invest my time with? Um, yeah, I've, I've never been there before. So the point is, or a better way to look at it is, if I was hiring, who would I hire? 
You see, many of us drift towards this idea, uh, preconceived ideas of judgment, and they're always based on outward appearance. We think that person would be a good employee <clears throat> because of the way he dresses, or that guy would look good in my office because his hair, or the way he talks. Um, and that's okay, but the problem is, is it drifts from the outside world into the church. And we start saying, you know, she's a good Christian based upon, well, based upon what? Or he, he, he's committed because he looks the part. What does that even mean? But sometimes we even take it further and we say, you know, I, I don't know about her. You know, she doesn't wear clothes like the rest of us. She wears some black clothes, kind of looks like a vampire, you know? Um, or maybe even we say, you know, I don't know about him either because he hangs out with people who don't go here. In fact, he hangs out with people who don't go here so much that he never spends time with us. And does he even, you know, belong here? Hmm. Hmm. You know, so many things, a lot of times people, they get into these weird beliefs that sometimes a people, you have to change your taste. You have to change who you are. You have to change what you listen to, uh, all of this stuff in order uh, to follow Jesus. Sometimes people even believe that you even have to change friendships. That to really come to Christ and to follow God, that you've got to stop listening to certain things. Maybe you've got to start listening to certain things. You have to start dressing a certain way, and you have to stop being friends with some people. And we're going to see that today, we're going to look at a guy that really shatters that entire idea. That we're going to look at a, a guy today that Jesus accepted him and didn't make him change who he was in order to follow Jesus. Now, again, if, if this is your first time here today, that may be one of your big pushbacks. You know, okay, in order for me to follow Jesus, then does that mean I have to start listening to this type of radio? Do I have to start changing, you know, who I vote for? Does that mean, do I have to start, you know, uh, changing the people I hang out with? And we're going to see that uh, this guy... That who lived in two worlds, really. Um, he, he grew up in a very safe, religious world, but he walked away from God. He walked away from community. He walked away from his religion, his faith, in, in order to make money, in order to have fun. And again, you may have heard that, that story because that may be you and that may be us. That we used to follow God when we were younger and we, we were kind of, we did the whole church God religious thing. But yet we left God in order to be able to have fun, make money, do whatever that. And we're going to see this guy today. His name is Matthew. He doesn't have to change what he's become in order to follow Jesus. That's interesting, all right? Um, now think about this. Matthew was one of his 12 disciples. Jesus had 12 guys he picked. And of one of the 12, he picked this guy by the name of Matthew. And this is interesting. Of the four Gospels that we have, and by the way, the four Gospels, it's just four different people writing the account of Jesus, all right? Uh, of those four people that wrote that account of Jesus, two of them, two of them were disciples, Matthew and John. So Matthew wrote one of the books about Jesus. Anybody know what it's called? Matthew, I know. Thanks for coming to One Church. It's crazy, right? Uh, and so we're going to be in the book of Matthew today, and we're going to see how Jesus, uh, um, how he interacted with this guy who left the faith, but yet Jesus intentionally sought him and used him in spite of his poor decisions up to this point. All right. So if you got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter nine. By the way, we give away Bibles for free here at One Church because uh, we want you to be able to have a Bible that you can read. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can go to U Version and you can follow along with us in notes. All right. 
So Matthew chapter 9, we're going to see this guy who literally compromised and turned his back on his religion, his family, his community, his God. I mean, he became a notorious sinner and had a really bad reputation that had such a bad reputation that the average preacher would have ran away from this guy, but yet Jesus ran to him. And that should give you and I hope, all right? All right, here's what it is. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 says this. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named who? Matthew sitting where? At his tax collector's booth. There you just need to go, boo. How many of y'all like paying taxes? No one, right? If you just raised your hand, you lied in church, right? (laughs) Nobody likes paying taxes, and yet this guy was a tax collector. And look what Jesus said. Jesus says, follow me and be my disciple. And Jesus said to him, so Matthew got up and followed him. So Matthew was a tax collector, all right? Taxes, tax collectors were the most despised and hated people in Israel. They were vilified. In fact, they were hated more than even the, the Romans, who were the occupying force that had conquered uh, Judaism and the Hebrews. Um, they were kind of put in the same category as robbers, murderers, and tax collectors. Got to love that, right? In fact, this is interesting. Tax collectors were barred from the Jewish churches of that day called synagogues. They couldn't worship with people. They couldn't come into the temple. And you think about it, why were these guys hated so much? Well, there were two reasons. First, they were traitors to their own people. To be a tax collector, you meant that you were working for Rome and they were the enemies. So you had to extort and rob your own, your own people and your own families. I mean, uh, they, what they would do is they would buy these tax franchises from the Romans. And then Rome said, okay, you had to tax 15%. And Rome didn't pay you. How you got paid if you were a tax collector is you charged the 15%, but then you charged an extra 15% to be able to pad your own pockets. And what they would do is they would strong arm money out of people by the use of thugs. So you had everybody hating this guy by the name of Matthew. Second, they were dishonest. Um, The Roman writer once says that he saw a monument erected to an honest tax collector. An honest tax collector was so rare that they actually received a monument in this dude's honor. So, I mean, he was just very, very dishonest. So he's overcharging the people more taxes so that he could drive the best chariots and have his kids go to the best schools and have the best houses. And it was just, it was kind of messed up. But this guy, Matthew, what's so interesting isn't that he's a tax collector. What's so interesting about the guy, Matthew, is Matthew isn't his real name. He has this type of a Dr. Jekyll and Hyde personality. Look what it says in Mark 2, 14. As he walked along, he saw who? Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth, follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So what is it? Levi got up and followed him. Now that's the same story. It's the same person, but he's known in Mark and Luke as this guy by the name of Levi, but in Matthew, he's known as Matthew. So who is this guy? Is he Matthew or is he Levi? And the answer is yes. He's both. Let me, let me give you a little bit of history about this guy. Levi... Was uh, that's a Hebrew name. It's a Jewish name. And Levi grew up in a good Jewish home. In fact, he, it, it, Levi is not only his name, it's the tribe that he came from. And if you remember, if you have kind of remember going to Sunday school, there was this one group of people in all of Israel, they were called from the tribe of Levi, they were called Levites. And what they were in charge of doing is they were the professional preachers and missionaries of that day. 
what the Levites would do is they would go into the temple and they would be able to serve. And I mean, they were professional religious people and not everybody could do it. It was only this certain group. And that's who Levi is at. I mean, he is part of that group. So here he's this very Jewish dude whose parents grew up in the temple, grew up in the church, and he has this pressure on him to be able to follow in his father's footsteps. He has this pressure put on him that he's going to be, you're going to grow up and you're going to one day serve in the temple. You're going to grow up and you're going to one day serve in the synagogue. And Levi, he has a choice. Am I going to continue being religious and staying close to my family, close to my community and close to my God, or... Am I just going to go out and have some fun? And you know what he chose? He chose the fun. Because what we're going to see with this dude is he ran so far, so hard away from God, he, he left his Hebrew name behind. And he got a new Greek name. Now, some of you, I may be talking to some people who you know exactly what that feels like because you had that spring break like eight years ago. Right. Or, you know, you had that fling, you know, 12 years ago and you're like, okay, I could either choose fun or I can choose my faith and I'm going to choose fun. Right. I mean, many of us have been there, but I'll tell you, no matter how, no matter how far you've run from God, I dare say you've not changed your name. But here we see Matthew totally leave his biblical and Hebrew heritage behind and he changes who he is all so that he can have fun and so that he can be able to get a lot of money. Now that's interesting because this same guy who has literally left everything behind, he became another person. He was a guy who was living in one world at one time, but now has forsaken all of that. And he used to be religious, used to go to church, used to go to the synagogue. But now he is all about having money and having fun. And even though he ran away from his religious upbringing, Jesus is still interested in him. Man, that should give you and I hope. Because if you're here this morning, you're thinking, man, I, I, I don't think God is interested in me. I've ran too far, too long, and too hard with too many people. You need to know you are exactly wrong. Because it was that type of person. Jesus could see into the heart and see people for who they are. And Jesus sought out Matthew and called Matthew and to be able to become one of the people in his inner circle. Now, so I want to pull Matthew 9.9 back up. Um, And I just want to start on this first sentence. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Now, I want to pause there. Now, Matthew is literally in the act of committing the sin that caused everybody to hate him. He's literally in the act of the sin that caused him to hate himself so much that he changed his name. Now, Jesus is the one walking up. And Jesus, the embodiment of God in human flesh, the only person who has ever been perfect, the only person who has ever been without sin, the only person who honestly has the authority or the right to say anything he wanted to Matthew. But what does he say? You know, Jesus doesn't come up and say, you know what, Matthew, I'm sure your mother's really proud of you. You know what, Matthew? Yeah, you're rich and you have spinners on your chariot, but (laughs) how do you sleep at night? Or better yet, how do you look yourself in the mirror? No, what he says is, Matthew, I want you to follow me and be my disciple because Jesus knew that his one job, his one thing that he needed to do was just to call upon him. And see, a lot of us miss that opportunity with our friends. Whenever we see them, we, we want to go and say, you know, um, you're going down the wrong path. And, you know, I think you need to 
come back. Or, you know, I disagree with what you're doing. But what we could say is, you know what? I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've become. I want to hang out. I want to be friends with you unconditionally. I want us to go get a cup of coffee. So Matthew's job. Now, now this is where I've literally had this issue before because up until a year and a half ago, I was an atheist, okay? And I was, I was coming to church and I, I had all these thoughts and my issue, you know, and Matthew's thinking the same thing. Well, I'm no longer Levi. If you want me to follow you, where are we going? What are we going to be doing? Who are we going to be spending time with? Does this mean I have to start going to prayer meeting on Tuesday? Sunday night, Sunday morning, Wednesday night worship, discipleship training on Thursday. Do I have to become Levi? Or more, the million-dollar question, I have all these new friends. Do I have to sever my relationships with my friends that I've made in order to follow Jesus? You see, the next part, which we're going to pull up 9-10, we're going to stay in Matthew the rest of the day, by the way. So this answers that. And a lot of us have this idea and these fears, you know, what are my friends going to think if I follow Christ? Do I have to give them up? Do I have to give up what I enjoy doing? And the answer is no. See, later Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guest, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. He invited Jesus, you know, so where are we going? Well, we're going to my home. We're going to throw a party. Okay, and that doesn't sound very spiritual, does it? I mean, Matthew's literally been a Christian for less than 24 hours, probably actually a couple hours, to be honest. And he says, I want to throw a party. But the truth is, is the most spiritual thing that Matthew ever did is he threw a party where he had the opportunity to take his friends, his tax collectors, and other disreputable sinners. I love that that word, disreputable. And introduce them to Jesus. And see, that, that brings me to my big idea. We, the greatest thing that we could do, the greatest thing that any of us could do, is not to sever our relationships, but leverage our relationships. If you read through the rest, you'll see that Matthew, that is the greatest thing he ever did. And for all of us, that could be the greatest thing that we do. You know what's crazy about this is that somewhere, somehow, we as the church and church people have got this crazy notion that we, once God comes into our heart and our life, that we are to like leave everybody in the dust and we are to sever our relationships. But no, you know where nowhere in the Bible does it say that? In fact, as I was combing through the Bible this week, um, the only place uh, as a church that it says to sever relationships is if you have a Christian inside the church who isn't acting like a Christian. It says, it says that you are to, you know, to sever those relationships. What's so crazy about that? We have a tendency to put up with junk in the church. And then when people who are outside the church, we expect to, um, that they follow the same standard, the same morality, the same laws that we do. And they, and they don't. And they shouldn't. Because they're not us. But we are to continue to reach out. We're not to sever relationships but to leverage relationships. This is a book. Um, I ended up asking uh, uh, to kind of prepare for this study. You didn't really know that, but I kind of, there's this um, book that I'll let you borrow by Joe Aldrich called Lifestyle Evangelism. And when I gave it to Dave, I mean, what was the first thing you, you thought about this book? 
it, it was a cover and it had a bunch of dorks on it. Like, you know, I'm like, was this book made in 1985? It was, and I was alive in 1985. All right. So, anyway. Um, but, but but did you enjoy the book? I did. It was actually very good. And what did you learn? What was the spiritual principle did you learn on that? Uh, don't Never. judge a book by its cover. So. Bam. All right, cool. So, but let me tell you, in this book by Joe Aldrich entitled Lifestyle Evangelism, he has a, a statistic that should haunt you and I if you're a church person. And this is it. That studies show that once a person becomes a Christian that 85% of all Christians sever relationships with outsiders in less than a year and a half. That, that should bother us. And see, one of the things that we have a tendency to do is once we become a Christian, then, well, okay, that means we've got to listen to Christian radio and listen to Christian talk shows and watch Christian tier TV, Dear Jesus. And we've got we to gotta do all the Christian stuff because that's what it means to be a Christian. But here, as, as Dave so eloquently pointed out, the most spiritual thing that Matthew could do wasn't just to tune in to Christian radio and watch Christian TV. It was to not sever the relationships he had with people who were disreputable. I mean, that is reputation, dis. And some of you, you know exactly what I mean by that because you, you actually have a family member who has a reputation that has some dis in it. Right? Some of you, that used to be you. You had a reputation and you were not famous but infamous. Right? And everybody knew you because you were that girl or you were that guy and whatever label you could put on there. That is where Matthew is at. But yet what Matthew did is he, he met Jesus. And when he met Jesus, he introduced Jesus to all of his friends. And what's so amazing, I'm going to read Matthew 9, 9 and 10. Um, he says, later Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples home uh, to his dinner guest, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. I mean, now you're thinking, okay, great. This guy's leveraging relationships, right? Everybody's going to be happy. Eh. Who's not happy? Religious people. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Wow, aren't those great people? I mean, do you hear the condemnation in their voices? Do you probably have one of those bony fingers point. Why does your teacher eat with such scum? These religious followers were more worried about proving a point, showing their disapproval of these disreputable sinners, rather than being the difference in someone's life. And as Christians, we are called not to prove a point, but to make a difference. So, you know... I I want to bring that back up, actually. The, uh, you know, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Why were they so angry? Why were the Pharisees so incredibly mad? But you see, in this time, in the first century, to eat at somebody's table with them showed that you were accepting them, okay? Jesus never ate with the Pharisees. Jesus spent all of his time... With who? Tax collectors and disreputable sinners. Now, you know, Mark Twain, he said, after spending lots of time with good people, I understand why Jesus spent all of his time with sinners and tax collectors. And, <laughs> and that's it. That's the epitome of this. You see, I can remember I was 13 years old. I just moved from Michigan. Uh, well, I guess I was 12 when I moved from Michigan, but I've been here about a year. And I didn't, I didn't know what this whole Christianity thing was about. 
I wanted to know why everybody went to church. You would think I lived in the Bible Belt or something. And so I, I finally, you know, I decided I'm going to go and I talked to my parents. And uh, at, at one point in time, whenever I was young, there was a falling out in the church that they went to. And we just never found another church. And so I tell my parents I want to go and they're, they're behind me. And we decided to go to this church. And I get in there and he hands me this paper and it has all these men's names on it with numbers next to it. Later I find out that's the books of the Bible. Um, and it, it's telling us what we're going to go over, okay? And I sit down, and I'm trying to read through it. And I, I was in nice clothes, and my hair was fixed. But the pastor was in the middle of his introduction, and he looked at me. And he didn't break eye contact. And in that moment, I realized that I recognized him, and he recognized me. See, whenever I was 13, I was going through a phase, you know? I was that guy that wore a lot of black clothing. I was that guy who thought it would be cool to be goth and write poetry and, you know, that kind of stuff. And so, but the point is, is it was a face. And he recognized me. And he knew what I looked like outside of the church. So he stopped and, and he, he told everybody, he looked around, he finally broke eye contact. Felt like hours, it was just a few seconds. And he tells everybody to fold that piece of paper up and put it in their pocket. Save it for next Sunday. Something else has been brought to my attention. And I just feel like that's what I need to talk about. So he, he looks at me again and he, and he stares straight at me. And I'll never forget the next words that came out of his mouth. I don't remember anything past it, but I remember these words. He said, what is wrong with the youth today? And why do they feel the urge to be different? Now, what I do know is about the rest of the sermon, not once was Jesus brought up. Not once was there a possibility of hope for me. It was simply, he wanted to make sure that I knew that he disagreed with the way I looked, with the way I dressed, with the way I acted. And... See, he, uh, he might have had good intentions. I don't know. I've never talked to the guy again. I don't remember what the guy looked like. But he, he wanted to make sure, you know, that I did not dress that way any longer. Maybe he thought if I continued to act that way that I would not amount to anything. And maybe he truly had good intentions. I'm not sure. But what he wrote on was he wanted to prove a point to me rather than be the difference in my life. He was, as you would say, a Pharisee in my life. Now, he... You know, the point, the thing is, I don't know what point he really wanted to make, but the only point that I took from that is that I was not welcome there. So I never went back to church, not willingly. Now I'm going to leave my story off right there, and I'm going to come back to it next Sunday. And for some of you, this is the reason you haven't been to church in a while. You had a bad experience with a Christian. You had somebody treat you poorly. You got burnt out. But I, I plead with you, come back next Sunday, and I want to share the rest of my story with you. You know, our goal is not just to prove a point. It is to make a difference. And that is exactly what these Pharisees are doing. They just want to make a, make a point, but they really don't make a difference in anyone's life. And what we're going to see, Jesus, he made a huge difference. And not only did it make a huge difference in Matthew's life, in Peter's life, in Andrew's life, and all of these other disciples, he can still make a difference in your life today. I love that. Um, so Matthew realized that he could follow Jesus while still being Matthew. I mean, notice, if, you're, if you've got your Bibles open, this isn't called the book of Levi, is it? It's called the book of what? Matthew. I think that's a point. I mean, what Matthew is saying is, you know what? I didn't have to sever my relationships. I didn't have to change the person I had become 
in order to be able to follow Jesus. And I do want to say this, that if you do follow Jesus, there are going to be some things that will change about your life. That will just naturally happen. But let me tell you, what we have a tendency, things on the inside will change. All right? What we have a tendency as people is we judge people on the outside. And this is kind of their, uh, their mindset. Okay, um, does that mean in order for me to become a Christian, do I have to like organ music? Okay? I'm just throwing something out there that's so extreme, all right? Um, and uh, I was talking to somebody this past week, and he said, you know, I, when we get done with church, you know, no one ever goes on and goes on, put it on 89.9 and listen to Bach organ music, right? But yet many times we expect people, once they become a Christian, to start looking a certain way and change their preferences, change the style of their music. And by the way, if you like organ music, I'm not hating on you. Haters going to hate. I ain't me. I'm just saying, all right? Most people probably don't. You don't listen to organ music. In fact, I don't know of one station, radio station, maybe some serious, but one radio station that, that plays organ music. My point is you don't have to change your preferences and what you become in order to follow Jesus Christ. He will change you. He will change some stuff, but that will happen from the inside out. Look at verse 12. When Jesus heard this, talking about heard these people complaining. He says this, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I like that. Jesus said, sick people need doctors, and I'm a doctor, so I'm going to do exactly what God is calling me to do. I'm going to hang out and help sick people. In fact, that was Jesus' mission. Here's something, that is the church's mission. If you're here and you're like, I'm not good enough, you know, I'm there, I got some jacked up stuff in my life, and you have problems with the way you talk and what you look at and what you watch and all this stuff, you are in a great place. Let me tell you, if you think you're perfect, you're in the wrong church. In fact, I'm just going to go a little bit farther. This is not my note. So this is one of those things that if you think you're perfect, the one thing that cannot happen with you is God cannot save you. Because the one thing, the prerequisite for somebody coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ is they have to realize they don't have it all. I mean, imagine if our healthcare system said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to cover the well doctor's visits, but we're not going to cover the sick. Would that be any benefit whatsoever? Some of you are saying, well, that's what the government's going. I don't know. I'm not going to go there. I'm just telling you. Let me give you an example. Can I show you something? Here. This is my ankle, all right? I was hanging out with my children on Friday night, and I tore a big old silver dollar size out of my ankle. So, and it's, I'm bleeding like a stuck hog, all right? I've got blood everywhere on the deck. I mean, it's bleeding something fierce, all right? And um, so I'm, and Kim's like, I think you need stitches. I'm a man. And I'm like, I don't need no stitches. Get up off me, right? I'm good to go. So my wife, bless her heart, I got to love her. I mean, she, she puts hydrogen peroxide on the wound and starts foaming up. And I'm like, ah. um, And then she took Neosporin and she, with her finger. And I know, it's, I mean, it was just, it was, what'd you call it? It was, I thought it was skin room, but you got apostasis. Adipose tissue. She says, I can see adipose tissue. And I'm like, what did you call me? So anyway, <laughs> we, she goes to the store, buys bandages. I elevate my foot and all through the night, I, you know, I'm, when I have to go to the bathroom, every time I get out of bed, I, again, I start bleeding really bad. And that's when I realized my wife is a smart woman and I need stitches. <laughs> So I go 
to the doctor on Saturday morning and I get 12 stitches. My friend Luther back there, he says, okay, Chris, you, your judgment is really impaired. You know, having one or two maybe stitches, that's maybe not needing stitches. 12, that's needing a lot of stitches. My point of bringing this up is this. What if I would have went to the doctor and said, listen, I'm bleeding. I got this open, gaping wound. And they said, I'm sorry, we can't see you because we are only here to see well people. That would be dumb. But yet that is what many times what happens, what can happen in the church. And it's what can happen with our mindset saying, you know what? I've got to start cleaning up. I, I, I got to do some, I got to do better before I come to church. No, you don't. I mean, I ended up going into the doctor's office with gaping wound, with blood gushing. And you know what? They didn't go, I'm sorry, you're going to need to go home and you're going to need to clean that up. Don't have to do that. Jesus says, and then he added, and he says this. Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want to show mercy. By the way, that's making a difference. That's, re- that's compassion. That's mercy. That's reaching out to those who need it. Not offer sacrifices. That's proving a point. Not going through just the religious motions. That's what offering the sacrifices were at that time. It was just going through the religious motions. He says this, For I have come to call not those who think that they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. Um, Now, as we close, I'm just going to give just a few ways that you can apply this and what you need to do to to actually invest in people. Um, Now, the first is... Don't make someone into a project. Now, whenever you, you look at, I'm going to invest in this person for the sole purpose of bringing them to Christ, that's not a friendship at all. That's right. That's making them into a project. And who wants to be made into a project? The only reason I'm spending time with this person is just so I can fix them. No, you should spend time with someone because you want to spend time with them with the hope that maybe one day, you can say something that might chip a little bit of the ice away from their heart. That maybe one day you could bring them to Christ. But if that doesn't happen, you at least were able to try to be the difference in their lives. Now, second, and this is something that I don't have much of an issue with, but in my time of being here, a lot of people wear their religious feelings on their sleeve. And this comes back to the proving a point rather than being a difference. Whenever you're spending time with people who don't have the same ideas or principles as you, you're going to hear some F-bombs. You're going to hear some phrases like GD that you just don't want to hear. But don't lash out. Don't wince. Don't tell them that, that it bothers you. Because whenever you do that, that only builds ice around them. That only, you know, makes it more difficult for you to invest. I have a friend, my, my best friend in the entire world, he is still an atheist. And over time, you know, and, and he, he, he cusses like he normally does, you know, and, and that's fine. And, but over time, he noticed that I wasn't as much. He noticed that I wasn't using certain phrases. And one day, he asked me, he said, Dave, does, you know, whenever I use the GD phrase, does that bother you? And it wasn't because I made it apparent that it bothered me. It wasn't because I wanted him to know. But no, he asked me because he realized that I wasn't using it. And in that moment, he said, all right, well, I'm not going to use that around you. And since then, he's used it twice. And both times, he's apologized for it. 
And he's even gone further to asking some of my other friends to use it less. And that is making a difference in his life rather than proving a point to him. Now, the third, um, start now. And I'm actually going to let Chris yeah, absolutely. take control of this. You know, just uh, on this thing right here that he was talking about, you know, so many times we, we, as Christians, we care more about the outside than the inside. And um, it's exactly what you were talking about, you know, phrases or language or any of that. And, and I, this was really proved a point to me when I was, had just become a youth pastor in Dallas, Texas. Uh, I was in this church and they had about 14 kids and all of these, and I grew up in church. I want you to let you know that. Uh, but th- these kids were very different than I was at their age. Um, some had, uh, um, had like taken knives and drawn pentagrams in their arms. They, they all, um, after I got finished teaching, they all went outside and like lit up cigarettes and they said, do you want some? And I'm like, oh my gosh, right? Like they're going to kill me, right? That type of thing. I remember, um, thinking, uh, you know, one of them said, you know, I, I you know, I'm just, I'm struggling. And he, he's, this person says, you know, he's talking about dropping acid. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I had this one dude, literally a little bit later, he says, you know, you know how, um, God made all the trees in the garden. Okay, yeah, uh-huh. He says, no, I'm not making this up. Okay, pot is kind of like a tree. Um, um, and he said, you know, we could eat of all the trees, but, you know, I'm not eating it, but we're smoking it. And, not, you know, what do you think about that? And you know, I'm like, well, you know, that's good that you're reading the Bible, all right? I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to find something, trying to find something that I can pl- applaud him on, right? And... Now I can just tell them to move to, you know, Colorado or Washington. I don't know, but uh, just nuts. I don't know where that came from. But anyway, my point is this. As Christians, we can't focus on the outside. You see, if, if, if Dave just said, okay, w- will you please clean up your language? You know, or if I would have done that with, this, uh, with these kids in the youth group, if you would stop smoking, stop drinking, stop doing all this stuff, they could stop all of that and still spend an eternity in hell. Because really, it has nothing to do about the outside. God cares about the inside. Now, here's what's so cool about that. Once God gets a hold of your inside, guess what's going to change? The outside. Exactly right. But we can't start with the externals. We've got to start with the internals. First uh, Samuel 16, 7 says, Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks where? At the heart. At the heart. So, this third thing is I want you to start now. So, if you have your phone, can y'all... Pull out your phones. Can I go like this with me? All right, cool. Cool, cool. All right, cool. Just keep those out. And uh, I want you to open up a text. All right? I want you to start a text. And here's what I want you to do. Because all of us have people in our lives that we need to continue to build relationships with. That we need to leverage relationships, not sever relationships. you got people that you need to talk and you need to continue a conversation, you need to build or rebuild a friendship so that possibly one day you can talk about Jesus. But again, if that day never comes, you're befriending them and you are being Jesus to them. So I want you to start a text message to a person and start writing in the name. Everybody's got that probably that person in your mind, right? That you need to go out and you need to build that relationship so that you can eventually talk about Jesus. Everybody got it? Type it in. Type their name in. Y'all ain't typing. Don't make me come down there. I'm seriously. I will come down there and I will bleed on you with my wound. All right. Here's what I want you to do. After you've typed in their name, I want you to put this in the text line. I want to hang out this week. 
You got any free time? And you, here's what I want you to do. You know what I want you to do? I want you to hang out with them. All right? Um, Dave, you, you mentioned a couple of things that you could do. What, what could they do? Uh, go grab coffee. Go to the movies. Do something where they feel comfortable. Uh, that, that's the best thing I can say. Um, I'm, I'm giving a little bit away, but my friend who invested in me, we're both avid coffee drinkers. And we would honestly, we would sit around and drink coffee. Mm. And we would have conversations. Um, and and that, that was the point. You do something that is comfortable for them. Sure. You just start where they're at. And you build relationships. Let me tell you, we're going to make this really easy on you guys. For the next two weeks, we're talking about this, this week and next week. Then the week after that, we're doing a series called At the Movies. All right? We're going to have a great time, but let me tell you what we're going to do. In fact, immediately after the service, you can go out and get this. And Patrick will tell you a little bit more about this. But on June the 16th, that's Father's Day, we are going to be uh, talking about the Avengers in here on Sunday morning. And then after church, we're going to eat pizza. And then we're going to go see the new Superman Man of Steel movie. It's going to have a great time. We've already talked to the uh, movie theater. Some of y'all excited. (laughs) Preach it, brother. Preach it. Anyway, let me tell you, the whole reason we do this is we want to encourage you to build a relationship. And, you know, some people may never, ever come to church. But you know what? They can say, hey, you want to go see a movie? Sure. I'll pop. All right. By the way, it costs eight bucks to go see a movie that's cheaper than you can get with your um, uh, military ID, and that includes pizza. So we're going to do that immediately after the church. We're going to go see Man of Steel on June the 16th. Now, the next week, June the 23rd, we're going to go see Monsters University. All right. All right, we're going to have a really good time, evidently, all right? So that's going to be on June the 23rd. If you, Let me tell you, shh, listen, I'm bringing it to a close. If you want to go, you have to buy tickets. You can't just, if you just show up on the day of, it's going to cost the 13, 14 bucks it cost. Um, but today, in the back, you can actually go and you can buy those tickets. So make sure, buy a ticket for your friend. Buy a ticket for somebody that you've been wanting to build a relationship, and this may be one of the ways that you can get them to come to church. I promise you, we're going to have a great time on those days, all right? In fact, I think on the 16th, I'm going to dress up in spandex as Superman. All right, right, couple of questions and we'll be done, all right? Uh, It's just a flesh wound. I don't know who that is, but I will find you, all right? This one says, I feel that I haven't severed my relationship with them, but they have with me. Things that used to bring me happiness don't anymore, so some choose not to be around me. Do you want to comment on anything like that, Dave? Uh, you know, it, I, I can't remember who said it, but someone said it's, it's crazy that we live in a world where, uh, you know, that 50% of all marriages and divorce is accepted. That... You know, things ending poorly is is the norm. But the moment someone chooses that they want to stop drinking, or the moment someone chooses that they want to stop smoking, they're looked at and they're told that they're crazy. Okay? Um, And it's strange, and it's hard to do. You know, uh, some of my friends, you know, I would offer to be the designated driver. You know, because, yeah, they're out, and they're having fun, and they're doing their thing. But at least I know they're getting home safe. And I know that I'm spending some quality time with them. And I know that they're starting to change their opinion about me. Um, you just have to be persistent. Mm, that's good. 
That's good. Anything else? I kind of interrupted you. I'll no, that's, that's, okay. that would be the best. All right. um, let's see. Got another one. Can you quickly define what leveraging a relationship means? Just hang out like you've said. I'm caught up in the word leverage. That's a great question. All right, let's talk about this. Leverage. When you take something and like uh, you've got something over here and you push down, you're leveraging that in order to be able to lift something up. So the word leverage, we all have relationships with Christians and non-Christians, believers and, and people who don't normally go to church. What I'm asking you to do is, is um, I'm trying to define this without using the word. I'm asking you to use that relationship to use that relationship, to continue to build that relationship for the express purpose of, number one, loving them. That's huge. I mean, loving them, we are to love as Christians. We are to, we are, they will know that we are Christians by our love. Exactly right. All right. Um, so we're to love them, but also praying for the opportunity that we can one day talk about Jesus to them. We're really going to be talking a lot more about this next week. And Dave, as he continues to unpack his story, he's going to talk about how... Um, of the person that led him to Christ, or her name is Samantha, leveraged that relationship in order for you to come to know God. And that's going to be really cool. So, uh, so make sure you show up next week. Uh, just to tag team off that. So a lot of us think that, you know, to, to bring someone to God, we need to go door to door and, you know, say, have you found Jesus? Or we need to put a bumper sticker that says honk if you love Jesus, that kind of thing. But the truth is, is you're, in, you're getting involved with people that you don't even know. And somebody who is a complete stranger isn't going to change somebody's life. If somebody knocked on your door and said, you're wrong, you know, Jesus wasn't real, would that change you? No, it wouldn't. But if somebody who you truly built a relationship with, someone you trusted, someone you loved said that, would it start to change the way you see things? Um, And that's what it means to leverage your relationships. Basically, take the relationships you have and use them to maybe one day bring them to Christ. It's earning the right to be heard. Right. That's the best way I can is kind of define leveraging. It's earning the right to be heard. So, All right, let me pray for us, and then uh, Patrick's going to come out. Guys, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Did you all have a good day today? Absolutely. I want to, again, I want to thank Adam and Ashley for leading us in worship. Had a great time. Thank you guys very, very much. Let's pray. Dear God, we love you. I thank you so much, Lord, that we can be able to come and worship you. Lord, that we can be able to come just as we are. And Lord, that you love us so much that you uh, just won't keep us that way, but you will begin to change us, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. And Lord, I pray, Lord, as we go out and we are the church, we become the church, we be the church during the week, God. I pray, Lord, that we would earn the right to be heard. Lord, that we would not sever relationships with people who need Jesus because all of us in here at one point have needed you, God. And Lord, somebody built a relationship with us in order to earn the right to be heard, to leverage that relationship for you. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' great big name that we pray. Amen.